Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Transparency is of utmost importance to Flock. A powerful new surveillance technology. I already told you what I had to tell you. Some police departments don't want to talk about. This is the end of this interview. This week on Open Record, secrecy versus transparency. They're not concealed. They're not hidden cameras. We got nothing to hide. As we shine a light on the eyes of government. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm your host, Brian Polson, and I'm joined by Open Record's executive producer, Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hi. And we are joined by Fox 6 investigator, Amanda St. Hilaire. Hey, Amanda. Hey, happy to be here. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, October 25th, for release on Thursday, October 26th. And this week, we are once again talking about flock cameras. It is one specific brand of license plate reading cameras that are quickly spreading across the country and here in Wisconsin. They are lining public roads and highways and tracking the daily movements of millions of Americans. And this time we're talking, we talked about this a couple of months ago, actually. We sat in in this room and talked about flock cameras at length. Got a lot of questions from viewers. And one of the common questions I was getting was, is there somewhere I can go to just see a map of these things? And we were already starting to get some records in that gave us some of the location information. Some communities said, sure, here's where our cameras are. We have nothing to hide. We set out to get that information from 20 different police departments, and boy, did we get some different responses literally all over the map. So, oh, go ahead. No, after you. I was just going to say, this all starts, so the name of the podcast, Open Record. This all starts with Open Records. Yeah. So what kind of did you, you know, what were you asking for? What were you looking for? What did you want to know? So this goes all the way back to April when we first filed these Open Records requests. And Amanda, you know, we were looking at this because we were getting, and we talked about this last time, we were getting a lot of sort of uh, story pitches from a PR person for Flock saying, hey, look, there's been this Mm -hmm. crime solved in your community. Do you want to do a story? But there was really no acknowledgement of the fact that there's another side to this technology, and that is it's tracking everyone. So there are some concerns that have been raised by uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, the ACLU, who've said this is a pretty massive surveillance system because the data is being shared among all these departments uh, all across the country. And they're saying this is really mass surveillance of the public and there's concerns about privacy invasion. So there's sort of two sides to this. It's helping solve crime. On the other hand, is this sort of a government intrusion that goes too far? We wanted to look at that. So it started with the open records requests and we sent requests to 20 police departments. Now, at the time, I had no idea what police were saying about this what the sort of sales pitch was like. So we asked for emails and that was a pretty massive undertaking because some of these departments ended up sending me hundreds or thousands of emails that had been going on for years as they built up toward getting this. But one of the other things, one of one out of several things we asked for was locations of your flock cameras. And some of the police departments said, along with the emails, Here's a link to the deployment map. You can see exactly where the cameras are, where we've contemplated putting them, why we chose the places that we did. And their reasoning was, 
These are on public roads. They're in public view. They're not hard to identify. Once you know what one looks like, it's not hard to spot one alongside the road. So they said, we have nothing to hide. Here it is. But it was when we did the original story, I got some responses back from, in particular, Milwaukee police, which is the largest department in Wisconsin. And they said, we can't tell you where these cameras are. That's essentially a law enforcement secret. Uh, they didn't use that word exactly, although New Berlin did. New Berlin said secrecy is required. But they performed what you well know, Amanda, is uh, referred to as a balancing test. They said, uh, you know, while there's a a general understanding that the public has right to government records and that that's codified in state law, there are exceptions to that. And in their evaluation, they said uh, the techniques of law enforcement um, are sort of the, the, the importance of keeping secret the techniques of law enforcement supersedes or outweighs mm -hmm. any public interest in where these cameras are. And there were at least five agencies that said something like that. Man, I have a lot to say. So, <laughs> Take it away, Amanda. <laughs> public records are my jam. Uh, if, you're, if you're a new listener, public records are my jam. So the whole idea behind public records is that these are records that belong to you, the taxpayer. And they show what your government is doing. And your government leaders who report to you are the keepers of these records. It's why they're called records custodians. Their job is to kind of hold on to them for you, store them for you. But then when you ask for them, there is a presumption that they are public. So in other words, when you ask for public records, the agency has to prove why it's not public. You don't have to prove why it is public. They have to prove why it's not public because these records are presumed to be open. And one of, the, one of the most interesting responses I tend to get, and it comes from law enforcement agency, is this argument around security. And certainly there are times when that is true, right? Like uh, the identity of an undercover detective. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right? Like the, when you do the, quote, balancing test, the interest in knowing who that person is, kind of hard to make the argument that that outweighs the interest in keeping that secret. But as Tom Kamenick, the open records attorney you spoke to said, this isn't something where you just get to go, uh, security check here. Like mm -hmm. any, it, they're police, anything can fall under the idea of security. Yeah. So it just, it can't be this theory that security will be compromised. They have to actually show, no, we're basing this on something, not just our inclination of where this is. So what? you have this this camera system that was sold to the public That's on transparency, right? Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You have, when police went to uh, their governing bodies for approval and their governing bodies are full of people who report to you, the taxpayer. We'll talk more about them. this element, by the way, but continue. Yeah, so it... And you look through those public meetings, they're sold to the public based on transparency. We understand the concerns about surveillance, but look how transparent we are. This is why you really should have no concern because of how transparent we are. You have these records that are presumed to belong to you, the taxpayer. And then over here, you have certain police departments want to give credit to the ones who turned it over. But then you have certain police departments who are saying, hmm. Yeah, the system sold to you on transparency with these records that belong to you. We're not going to show them to you. And that's why this story is such a big deal. That's why 
literally cleared my schedule to be on this episode recording today because the pursuit of these records, it's not just about the camera locations. It's about the information that you have access to, especially when it comes to something you are paying for that is surveilling you. Well, and, and I want to bring up a couple of points or, or, or highlight a couple of things you talked about there, because one is you said they were sold to the public uh, on the on the idea of transparency. And in some communities, we know that that's what the vendor, that's what Flock says. They right. say one of their key selling points is we are transparent. We want to. We want the public to know how this works, and we want them to know everything about the technology. They've even created something we haven't talked about on the air, something called a transparency portal that is voluntary. It is optional, and every community that has Flock technology has the option <laughs> of creating a public transparency portal where the public can see how many cameras are there, how many plate reads have there been, who's accessing this, what departments are sharing this information with your agency. I don't know of a single department in Wisconsin right now that has told me they're using the public transparency mm -hmm. portal. I haven't asked all of them, but the ones I have asked looked at me like I mm -hmm. spoke yeah. Martian. They didn't know what it even was. They certainly aren't using it. So the idea of transparency on, on the front end is something Flock is saying. But when you say it was sold to the public, I think this is really key because in many of these situations, many of these communities, there is no public discussion or there is very minimal public discussion. Maybe this comes up in a police budget, in a public safety meeting, mm -hmm. and the uh, the handful of people on that committee has some advanced knowledge that there might be this project, and they talk about it for a minute and a half. And somebody goes, so you're not doing anything that's going to violate our privacy? Okay, great. Boom, rubber stamp, and it's in. In a couple of communities, there's been a little more robust discussion. One of them we talked about in this story that you saw, if you watch this one, is Economowoc where they're looking at adding four cameras. Um, not nearly as many as some other communities, but for Oconomowoc, it's not as big of a place. And they just said, we'd like a few of these. They had a fairly robust public meeting where there were a lot of questions asked. And one alderman in particular said, man, I'm, I'm pro-police. I support the police, but I don't trust necessarily the State Department of Justice or federal officials or what might happen in the future. And he said, I'd really like to know more about how these are being used, where they're going to be placed, and, 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 you know, what are the limitations on how this is going to be used? They actually held off on buying the cameras temporarily so they could hold a public information session. And Flock came and only nine people showed up. But there was an opportunity. Mm -hmm. How well it was advertised, I think, is maybe a question. But there was an opportunity to have a public discussion. In Milwaukee, there has been no public discussion of these other than what we've put on the air. Yeah. There have been no public meetings. There have been no public safety committee discussions. It hasn't come up. So when you say how it was sold to the public, it wasn't really sold to the public at all. Most people wouldn't even know it exists were it not for our stories. And that's yeah. why we do this, right? So this isn't Brian Polson saying flock is bad or Brian Polson pointing to the location saying, can you believe there are this many cameras here? This is about your right to know. And you can't decide how you feel about something if you don't know about it in the first place. So not only telling people that this system exists, but knowing where those cameras are and how many, th there's a lot of data there and that helps you get a complete picture so you can make up your mind about how you feel about it. And if you love it, great. If you hate it, great too. 
but not our job, right? Not our job to decide if it's yeah. good or bad. Our job it, is to shine the light, right. and then let you, the viewer, the public, mm -hmm. decide. I, I've already told many people who've responded to my story. Some didn't like the idea that we were sharing a lot of information about this, but it's a system. What I've heard more than any from from more than anyone about is they didn't know it existed, mm -hmm. and now they know it exists. So if there's a concern about how it's being used or applied or where it's being used or how much money's being spent, these aren't cheap. It's not a one-time purchase, and I think that's a key thing, too. This is an annual line item. So if you have 10 cameras in your community at 3000 a pop, that's a $30,000 line item for the police department that will never go away, mm -hmm. and prices will only increase. So over time, it will get more expensive. And if they say, well, 10's not enough, we need 20, we need 50, we need 100. Milwaukee Police, in one of the emails I got, the chief said he'd like to have 150. Mm -hmm. That is expensive, so... Should the public be part of that conversation? That's certainly something we think that you least ought to be aware of it. So you get these denials. What do you do next? Well, the first thing was, you know, I mentioned that we talked to Tom Kamenek, who's an open records expert. And I, I, I took these denials and, and wanted to really break down what are the reasons they are giving. And, and invariably, they really all come back to, as you said, it's the idea that um, we're, we'd be giving away police techniques, um, you know, law enforcement techniques that would give an advantage to uh, a strategic advantage to criminals who, if they know where these cameras are and they're intent on committing crime, they could pick different routes um, and they could therefore avoid them. Or as Milwaukee police later told us, although they didn't say this in their open records denial, there's concerns about vandalism. Maybe they would uh, know where the cameras are and they'll just shoot at them because why not? Um what Tom Kamenek pointed out in our interview, though, is they didn't demonstrate that they have any evidence this has happened anywhere else. We know pardon, we know that there are communities that have released these camera locations and the cameras are visible. They're not hard to see. Once you know what to look for, you, you can see them all over the place. And I've had people tell me, well, now that I know what they look, I've got one in my neighborhood. Um, there's no evidence that anyone's been shooting out these cameras or that someone has committed a crime and they find out later they intentionally took a route to avoid one of these cameras. So there's been no demonstration. So one of the things I wanted to do with these denials was go back to each department and say, okay, let's talk about why you denied this. And do you have any proof, any evidence you can present that this is actually a harm that will occur? Because if they do, that's something we need to let the public know about. Right. That's how you get a fair story. It is also important to that balancing test evaluation. If they can demonstrate that in fact there is a real harm that could be caused, then that can be weighed against the public's right to know this information. But to just wildly speculate, hey, we'd prefer not to give them out because we are afraid this might happen, that's not how the law works. The law assumes it's open unless you can prove something else. But the, the idea was we wanted to ask about these denials. Why don't you want the public to know? In particular, because your neighbors are saying it's fine. Here you go. Here's a map. Here's everything we can tell you about our cameras. So what is it in your community that makes the security issue so much more important than the neighboring community? And those are questions that I wanted to ask in an interview. So I reached out to all five of the departments that said no, and I simply asked for an interview about the open records denial and about flock cameras in their community. Every department said no. We're not going to talk about this. Um... These are public officials. The police chiefs have a role that is high profile, and they do answer to you, the members of the public, the taxpayer. 
So what did the police departments though that said yes and gave you the records? Did they say anything else besides like, nope, here you go? Like, did they have any reasoning of why they were very forthcoming with the information? I, I will say that there are some that were initially reluctant and West Dallas was one of them. They actually initially denied us. I responded and explained that these have been sold on the idea of transparency. Some of your neighbors have given us these cameras and actually West Dallas came around and did an interview and they said, while we probably would prefer the less information out there, the better, we recognize that there's nothing to hide. These are not hidden cameras. These are visible. They're in the public space. And quite honestly, if criminals know that these cameras exist in our community, then maybe they're less likely to come here and commit crime. It has a deterrent effect. So that's one of the things I heard from those is there, there's a deterrent effect. Grafton has cameras that are stationed around a uh, a shopping center that gets a lot of retail theft. And they said, we want the potential criminals to know these cameras are here because it's going to make it harder for you to get away with the crime you might be planning to commit. So there is a deterrent effect. But I wanted to ask some of these questions. Milwaukee certainly is a unique case. A lot more population density, a lot more violent crime. Maybe their strategies are a little bit different. Maybe they could articulate some points that would explain why they believe the public shouldn't know where these cameras are. But I think they at least owe it to our viewers to give us that explanation. Maybe they don't have to give us the records, but sit down and tell us why. And we tried to um, tried to do that, uh, made multiple requests for interviews. They said, ultimately, we're not required to do an interview. Here's a statement. And, um, and I decided that I wasn't satisfied with that. I wanted to go talk to the police chief in person. Mm -hmm. Actually, I had put out an email Internally, you guys know this. I said, look, if anybody knows where the police chief's going to be, if he's going to be in a public meeting. That's ideal because it's a public meeting. We're welcome to come with a camera. I can just ask him some questions there. He wasn't scheduled to be in any public meeting. So I just put the word out. If anybody knows in the course of your work where the chief's going to be, let me know. And I got word instead that Milwaukee police were, in fact, coming to Fox 6 News. They were literally coming to our own building after not denying me um, access to anyone for an interview. And while the chief didn't come to Fox 6, the public information officer for the department did. And he's the one that I communicate with anyway. He's the point person for communications. I mean, his title is public information officer. So he works with the media and he was in our parking lot and I attempted to talk to him with a photographer and he walked away. And I tried to ask more questions and he continually walked away. And if you watch the story, you'll see he literally walked right up the ramp into Fox 6 News to avoid my questions. Um, I, I will just say for those who have responded and I've heard from those who say that it looks like I was badgering him. If you watch it very closely, I asked him questions politely. He just didn't want to answer them and he walked away. I want to talk about that because you have badgering you know, later in the story. Uh, you have um, uh someone from MPD saying you were ambushing people. And, and I want to talk a little bit about some pull the curtain back on journalism, right? Because not everyone who's watching this, not everyone who listens to this um, necessarily knows what we do every day. And I, I've been thinking about this a lot through my career. And it started when I, I worked with an anchor who was, he was a character and he was trying to get a hold of a police chief for a story he was working on. And he ended up showing up at this guy's house on a Saturday to try to get him. And the chief was not happy, made that known. And this anchor's response was, listen, I'm just trying to do my job. Thought I'd give you a chance to do yours. A little bit on the snarky side, 
But our job is to not only ask questions, but to be persistent. If you look at every code of ethics for the major journalism organizations, a key tenant of that it involves some phraseology of relentlessly pursuing the truth. And the relentless part means when someone says no, we don't just throw our hands up but go, okay, I guess you get to avoid accountability today. Okay, I guess our viewers don't get to hear from you. And it's why I hate statements. I hate statements. Well, I, it, it, for, for those, when you talk about statements, a written statement, an email, mm -hmm. they're usually crafted by a team of people and they've gone through multiple yeah, layers of multiple, approval. Yeah. And ultimately they come out, the department, the chief, all the other- They and, usually you know, don't answer our questions. They, they, they are, it's a carefully crafted statement that is meant to avoid the hard questions, that is meant to dodge the parts that we would try to address if we were able to ask follow-ups. And, and when I was yeah. pursuing Sergeant Cornejo in our parking lot, Efron Cornejo, who is the public information officer from Milwaukee Police, I explained that. He said, we already gave you a statement. I didn't ask for a statement. I wanted to ask questions, and I wanted to ask follow-up questions. That's how interviews work. Because, and again, you go back to the... RTDNA, Society of Professional Journalists, like all these organizations that revolve around helping journalists navigate ethics, our viewers, in our case, our viewers deserve to know who is speaking and who the information is coming from. We don't know that with the statement. Mm -hmm. uh, our viewers deserve to see what people say being challenged. Like there's a healthy skepticism we have to have in how people respond. When you push back, they don't get to see that in a statement. And in a daily news story where a reporter is putting stuff together in a matter of hours, sometimes people aren't available. That's life. We'll take the statement. In a long-term investigation where, in some cases, you didn't even give people a deadline and they denied your interview requests. And they're saying, no, we're just not going to talk about it's this. It's funny you say that because at one point I was told that they didn't have time to respond. And I pointed out that I hadn't given them a deadline. Right. And then they backtracked and said, well, we apologize if there's been any miscommunication or something to that effect. But but the 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 part about pursuing, uh, you know, sort of the relentless pursuit here, I want to take our viewers and listeners down the trail of breadcrumbs a little bit further because after that parking lot moment, if you watch the story, there's more. It doesn't just end with my attempt to speak to Sergeant Cornejo. He went inside the Fox 6 News building. He was upset by the approach. He, I'm told, was very angry and kind of laid into some other people inside Fox 6 News and told them he needs to go above my head. He needs to talk to someone higher than me because this wasn't my decision. He being you, he, Brian Polson. Meaning Poulsen. Brian yeah. Polson yep. needs yep. to go to someone higher than me. So this was, I took it as a directive. Don't talk to me, talk to someone higher than me, which was my intent in the first place was to talk to the police chief. Well, it turned out the police chief had a news conference a few days later, and it was a news conference to announce a bunch of arrests in some sort of federal operation that police were a part of, a task force or something like that. So we attended the news conference. Media is invited. We're invited to be there, and the chief is speaking at a podium. Now, I could have just fired off unrelated questions, but I wanted to be respectful of that topic. So what often happens in these news conferences is when the topic of that news conference is over, whether it's the mayor or the governor or the police chief, reporters will then ask off-topic questions. Sometimes they'll pull that person aside and ask them away from the podium or whatever it may be. 
And that day, as soon as the chief said, thank you, it was clear he was finished. I just said, chief, can I have a word? And he ignored me and he walked right out of the room as I tried to walk after him. Instead, it was uh, Heather Huff is her name, who was the chief of staff to the police chief who stepped in front as he walked away. And she said, she's the one who says in the story, I hear you've been trying to ambush a lot of people. And I really want to focus on that because I, I wrote emails and I made phone calls asking for a sit down interview where we can ask questions in a controlled environment. They said, no, I tried to politely approach the public information officer in our own parking lot. And he walked away and got mad. He said, I should talk to someone above him, and I want to talk to someone above him who walked away from me, and now I'm being accused of ambushing. And in many of these cases, you told people you were coming. Well, with Tulsa. It, it, well, is, right. not, yeah. it yeah. is not an ambush when you tell someone, hey, just a heads up, we can do an interview where you get to pick the day, time, setting, Location, how your face looks, yeah. great. Yeah. Or we can do the interview when I catch up with you at a public meeting, which, by the way, isn't a, a threat. It's an explanation of how journalism works. Well, it, it, as as exactly that, it's an advertisement that I have options and I'm giving you the information that and my options are. I, my preference is let's sit down and talk in a controlled environment that you select mm -hmm. where I can ask questions. You can be prepared. You can have notes. You can be ready for whatever hard questions you think I might ask, and you can be ready to go. Or you're a police chief, Wauwatosa Police Chief James McGillis in this case. Um, you've got a meeting coming up with the Fire and Police Commission or Police and Fire Commission, whichever they call it there. Uh, it's coming up in a couple of days. If you don't agree to sit down, then I'm only left with the choice of showing up at that meeting and asking you questions that maybe you're not prepared for. And and. He received that message as what he termed a threat. It wasn't a threat. It was actually an advertisement. I want to be fair. I don't want to surprise you. I don't want you to feel caught off guard. We prefer the sit down mm -hmm. controlled interview. We can make sure the lighting is good. We get to do it during our normal working hours <laughs> instead of giving up time with our family mm -hmm. to chase you down at a public meeting. We don't like unscheduled interviews they're not fun the term ambush interview does go back to a time in journalism when there was there's certainly a look it it, it it can it can look like you're really being tough and you're being you're holding people accountable but it can also be very unfair if you've not given someone a chance right. and a heads up to do a sit-down interview you've not requested an interview and told them what the topic was or the subject matter if you just show up and they have no idea it's coming, that's an ambush. Yeah, and that's un and that's unfair. Like absolutely, without it's not. A question. It's not only not good journalism; it doesn't really serve the viewer. Yeah. If you're the viewer, what do you learn from that other than that reporter just looked like kind of a jerk, and the other person looked scared or looked guilty? Right. Because yeah. you can make someone look guilty who's merely surprised, yeah. and it's not our goal to make people look guilty or like they have something to hide, if we've not given them a fair opportunity to sit down and just talk through the thing. And it's one thing to say that to a little old grandma who we approach at her front door. It's another thing to say it to the police chief of a local police department who we've given a heads up to and said, we really want to sit down and talk about this important yeah. public subject. And if you don't, my only option will be to show up at a meeting. And that's the thing, if we're showing up with the camera and the microphone and sticking that microphone in your face, 
It's because it's our last option, but it also serves a purpose because I have found out things I would not know otherwise by showing up. I have gotten the interview. And in this case, you got your yeah. persistence. The results actually here speak for themselves. Yeah, got you information. Now, sometimes the person clams up and they don't talk, but then that's still valuable to the viewer because they get to see how that public leader reacted. So when someone responds as one of the responses you got in this case, we're not obligated to talk to you. I think that was MPD. Yeah, so we're not required to do interviews, right? You know, my response to that is cool. Never, never said you were, but I'm not obligated to take your no as a stand down, throw my hands up and only work with what you've decided to give me. And it is part of your job to communicate with the public. So with many of these municipalities, when we have thousands of tax dollars going into public information positions and public information work, when transparency is a key part of the job written into Wisconsin statute in many cases, maybe you don't have an obligation to Fox 6, but you have an obligation to the people who are paying your salary or who are electing you. And we're the people who are advocating for those people. Well, let me add one thing here because I talked about it getting results. We did end up sitting down and doing an interview with the assistant chief of police, Paul Formolo. And there are some things we included in our story from his answers that I think are actually very helpful to you, the viewer. They help you understand the police department's position, their reasoning for their position, and whether or not you think these flock cameras should be, uh, you know, you should know where they are or you think police should be able to keep that stuff a secret for whatever security reasons they articulate, you have a better understanding of why and a better chance to evaluate if you agree or not once you hear those answers. Right. And in this case, it was that persistence what some have termed badgering or an ambush that in fact led to the sit down interview, which gets you all those answers. Now, had Milwaukee police done that interview in the first place, we would have had those same answers. We ultimately got to them, but the only reason we did was because we were persistent. If they had done the interview in the first place, they would have had those same answers and you would have had a story that was shorter by Much about shorter. two minutes. Absolutely, uh, right. That Sarah right. had no, right. yeah. that script because but, you, you then, because we have to show the process, right? That's so what I'm saying. You can't just show the part where you You can't give, them, yeah. when it takes um, unscheduled interviews to get to the sit down and then that sit down is constantly interrupted, you can't make, it, it's actually unethical to make that department look like it's on the same level as everyone were, else mm-hmm. who said, sure, we'll talk yeah. to you, right? Yeah, so we have to show our, it's showing our work, like your math, whatever, fourth grade yeah, teacher, yeah. right? And math show your work, mm-hmm. we have to show our work. I answered a viewer just this morning with that very explanation. He said it felt, he was the one who used the term badgering. And I said, what you term badgering, I would I would refer to instead as accountability. And, and it's one thing to, tell the viewers that someone dodged our questions. It's another thing to show the lengths they went to dodge our questions and then ultimately agreed. And and I think there is something that that says. It tells you, the viewer, that this was really something they didn't want to talk about. They ultimately did. And I think we got some better context for viewers as to how Milwaukee police are using this technology and why they view it the way they do. I think that's useful no matter how you feel about flock cameras. Yeah, and if you're not... A little bit annoying. You're probably not a very good journalist, so I must be I'm, a fantastic you, journalist. So I think honest, I, honestly, same. But you know, so it's like badgering and ambush and all that stuff. Sure, we can all agree in this story. Brian was annoying. That was your job. 
And if you're not annoying in this case, then we're not, you know, what's the saying? Journalists are supposed to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what that is. I would say this to someone, flip, flip it around. If you're a police officer, there's a lot of people you encounter you're just doing your job, but they're not going to like the way you do your job, mm-hmm. but it's your job. And this was mine. And and, uh, and, I, and I don't apologize for the way we approach it. I think we did a service to our viewers. Um, but again, everyone has a, a, a right to feel how they do about that. In the end, we got the interview and I think it was a good interview. Well, not well, only, and the, oh, go ahead. Not only did you get the interview, though, you got the location of the camera. Well, this is, and this is the most, and like, we said this, this is the most bizarre wild. thing to me <laughs> because they went, Milwaukee police went to such lengths to, officially legally deny in a letter our, our open records request for the camera locations. And then they dodged our questions. And then they said, we have nothing more to say. And eventually they sit down and even in the interview, they say, here's all the reasons why we don't want to tell you these locations. We fear vandalism. We fear criminals will dodge the cameras. We just can't give out these locations. And then they handed me a sheet and it had 29 intersections on it. And I was told by the chief of staff or the police department that these were general locations where flock cameras are. And I asked, I tried to get more. I said, what do you mean general locations? Are these like these intersections represent the neighborhoods where they might be? What do you mean? And they didn't really say more. So what did we do? Of course, we drove to the intersections Mm -hmm. and within one or two blocks of each and every one of these intersections, flock cameras aren't hard to spot. They're about 10 feet up roughly, maybe 10 to 12 feet up and they have a square solar panel and they, the cameras all look the same. And well, there's one, there's one, there's one. And pretty soon we had all 29 flock cameras. So they tell us they have 29 that are installed. We found 29 of them. Now we have the locations. Why did they give that to us? I asked, did, did you mean to? Because you <laughs> told us you couldn't. Yeah. And then you gave us a list and we found all of them. And their only response was the information you were given was intended to be given to you. We have nothing further to add. It's one of the more bizarre things I've encountered in my career. After all that fighting, they gave us the locations anyway. But that's it's the persistence paying off. And the map you put together is incredible. So for people who haven't gone to our website and check that out, highly encourage it because you can really zero in on exactly where are these cameras. I have a million follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're going to have more stories uh, after seeing how it's all laid out. But again, it's giving you that context so you can decide how you feel about it and you can ask questions of your own. Maybe you go to a public meeting and you ask those questions. Maybe you send those questions to us and we look into them. But the map you put together on behalf of our viewers, our our slogan here at Fox 6 is because you matter. That is like what it means, because you matter. You did all of that work and it was a crap ton of work. I know you're not going to brag about it because you're you, but... This story was a massive undertaking Mm -hmm. and you did all that, not because you don't have enough things to do with (laughs) your time. He's bored. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just for funsies. No, you, you did it on behalf of our viewers so they could see that and they could have a little more of a complete picture of something that's happening in their community and something that affects them every single one. And I don't want to seem as though I'm, being hyperbolic here. I don't want to seem like I'm overselling this. I do believe one of the reasons I've spent so much time on this story is there is a tension between two really powerful things. This is a really potentially great tool for law enforcement to solve crime, both on the front end to get alerts to stolen or or wanted cars, missing people, amber alerts. There's a lot of potential. And in the detective work after the fact by 
looking for a, a car that's been spotted near the scene of a crime or leaving the scene of a crime and seeing, do we know which way they went or were they in a certain area or can we get a license plate number? On the other hand, it also has great potential for misuse and abuse because we already know that today there are more than 40,000 of these cameras across the country and they're all collecting data 24 hours a day, seven days a week into a centralized database that can be searched from anywhere. So we know that this is a massive government surveillance network. It's powerful in terms of what it can do for good, but it also has great potential for harm. And we don't really know right now if there is any oversight of this. Police departments promise they are they are policing themselves. They say we have, uh, you know, audits that we can do or that we do routinely to see if there this is being used appropriately. We already know of one case in Kansas where it was abused and and a police officer used it to stalk his estranged wife. Um, he was caught. He was charged. And Flock says that's evidence that their audit system works. But we don't know how many times it hasn't been caught. And we don't know what could be done with this in the future. I thought it was really fascinating that the Oconomowoc alderman who we talked mm -hmm. to, who uh, spoke very highly of his support for law enforcement in general, but his suspicion of state and federal officials. We've heard a lot about the ACLU and others from maybe a more what people might say is a, uh, a more liberal point of view being concerned about illegal search and seizure, that this might be the government intrusion into people's privacy and ultimately constitute a search. Don't know if that's going to be established in law at some point or not. But on the other end, this alderman said he was concerned about what if you have an overzealous government official? He gave the example in his view. What if Tony Evers issues another stay at home order? And what if these cameras are used to find out who's not staying at home? He said, I'm concerned that our residents could be targeted in a way that we don't envision today, but that we might not support tomorrow. And I think that's why this story is so important. This is a massive system with a lot of power and it can be used for good. It can be used for ill, like any technology. You should know about it and you should be asking questions about it so you can determine if it's right for your community. And that's a good time for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual and have a little fun by answering answering by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And of course, here to answer Hello. or ask us that question is Sarah. Yeah. Hi. Well, all I stumbled right. all through that, didn't I? No, I like it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, li I like what you nail it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sarah. Okay. Okay. The last time I was here, I think we were talking about air fryers. So we talk about I'm, those every time. Okay. Every time. Literally, Got every it. question somehow comes back to beautiful. Um, okay. Mm. If someone told you they saw me, or this is you saying this sentence, if someone told you they saw me arguing with a stranger on the street, what would you immediately assume I was arguing with them about? So this you, isn't just about me. So like you read it you. about, yeah, but like you're reading it also about yourself. So if I saw you arguing with someone in the street, what would like, what would so I you want my you're... answer about? What... Wait, oh, we're not answering about each other. Oh, I guess Can we, we answer about yeah, each other? I feel like that's that. probably more fun, right? Yeah. Let's That's start with fun. Sarah. Okay. okay, so Brian, <laughs> someone tells us they saw Sarah arguing with someone on the street. What do we immediately assume it's about? They hugged her. Oh, yeah. Without unsolicited, without, unsolicited yeah. without consent. Yeah. I didn't even think about that one. Oh, <laughs> would you gosh. would you argue with them though, or would you make a fast getaway? Uh, it'd be like a uh, yeah, probably. Uh, I don't you know. You wouldn't. You wouldn't awkward. outright argue. I don't know that I'd argue it, but I'd be cringy. Maybe. Yeah, but I'm, would no. you be arguing with them about uh, the the virtues of almond joy? Also gross. 
God, coconut's so trash. So if it were if it were a work thing, like if someone came in and said, like <laughs> Amanda, I saw Sarah arguing with one of your coworkers in public, I would assume <laughs> it was someone uh, not responding to an email, uh, yes. someone using one of your pet peeves in scripts. So like police are searching. Yes, love the it. Word searching. Love it. Um, or it was someone uh, asking you to do something new. Or You've asking been asked to do another, yeah, another half-hour special. Maybe. <laughs> or asking a question that was already answered in an email that I already sent out. Per my last email. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, those are all. But non-work-wise, I would immediately assume okay. hug. Hugs and coconut. <laughs> yeah. Hugs. Sarah, well, Sarah if, sure. you, if, if you thing. saw or heard that Amanda had been spotted arguing with someone on the street, what would oh, you God. assume? Oh, that so there's a good. long there's list of things this could be. Things. I love um, to argue. Oh, gosh. I would say work-related. It's, um, there's so many. Uh, it's probably a scripting thing or writing in passive voice. Yes. Uh, or saying police say or using the word suspect uh, incorrectly. Yeah. Public records. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a big one too. It, but you, you're, she's spotted on the street, so this really isn't at work. This is well, like maybe something it's on the street. Of work. Of work. Okay, <laughs> this um, is something outside. I'm, that's I'm just imagining. Like if we we heard that. Oh boy, Amanda was arguing with somebody outside. What do you think it was about? Um, man, that's uh, trying to think of other things. Uh, all I could think of is like home stuff. Of like, um, Amanda, did you make sure that your kids had all your uh, their swim stuff today, and that you know it's pajama day, and they needed to bring a snack? And did yeah. you remember all of that? And she'd be no, like, look, it would be someone saying, um, oh, that's great. That Steve is babysitting the kids. <laughs> it, oh would be, gosh, it would Steve be something, so it would be something about division of labor. And it would be someone who like complimented my husband for doing something that like, yes, of course he does this because he is also surprise apparent. What? That would be it would be. I know what it would be. It would be someone asking you. What do you mean you get out of work at eight o'clock sometimes? How do <laughs> yeah, you do that yeah. as a mom? Yeah, that yeah. would uh, that would that would start that would start a rant. It, it could be so many things. I have I'd love to argue. I I, I almost it's imagine. I kind of imagine it might be like someone parked in the fire lane and Amanda called them out. Maybe I, I'm, a, I'm a professional tattletale. I found a way to turn tattletaling yes. into a career. That's true. And I make no apologies. I'm a little scared what you guys are going to say about Brian. Me. What do you think? Uh, the Cardinals suck. <laughs> no, I think it would be it would be like a social norm yeah. thing. So it would be like if you held the door open for someone and they walked in and then ordered ahead of you <laughs> oh, and didn't true. wait to let you See, pass. Like it would be something that I'm more passive aggressive though. I'll let that happen and then I'll post about it on social oh, media. Yeah, 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 yeah. I won't confront them right there about that. If for all the confrontation that it seems like I I, I do in some of my stories, I'm not a particularly confrontational person in public, except maybe on the soccer field. Sometimes emotions yeah, get that's the best. Like of a bad that's call. Fair. Uh, not no. I, I actually because I've done so many stories on abuse of referees, and I know the referees <laughs> yeah, that yeah. have refed my games for many years at Eline Soccer Park, and and I love these guys because they, it's hard to find good referees. I try not to argue too much with them. It's usually the opposing team or my own teammates sometimes, but usually the opposing team, and the adrenaline gets going. And I've had some moments in soccer games where afterwards. Uh, you know, I just have to go up to a person and go, that's not my character. Hey, you know, let's go have a beer because on the field, I'm a different person. And uh, Ooh, I want to go <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it's I, there. There have been a couple of times I've left soccer uh, games and thought. 
man, maybe there's something underneath going on right now. Is there something at home? Because that Schedule is not, therapy. that's out of my character. Yeah. See, and maybe it's because, because I um, have no problem with conflict. So it comes out more in the little ways. And so for those other things, I'm much more, I mean, I'm bad at sports, but like I'm much more mild mannered in those things. I think maybe because it comes out in those smaller ways. You so know maybe I, we're just two ends of the same coin. You know what I'm having trouble with? What? Imagining Kale arguing with anyone. Uh, someone comes up to him and says that Jurassic Park is the worst movie ever made. <laughs> yeah. I well, feel then like... I know that they're just trying to get <laughs> at me because it's, yeah. there's no way. They're just needling you because they know that can't possibly be true. <laughs> the last few times I've gotten into an argument in public have all involved line skipping. Oh, and a, a social for whatever norm? reason, like, I like just amusement park or so what do you mean? Anywhere. Last yeah. time was at at Larry's. <laughs> I was standing there waiting to was order. Was it with one of your colleagues? I was going to say, And yeah. some guy walked in. I'm like, no, it's cool. I was waiting here, but go ahead. <laughs> Ooh, that, was, hey. that was nice and passive aggressive. Listen, <laughs> listen, sometimes Brian Graham is in a hurry. Okay. <laughs> so um, that's a fact. We'll see manager. if he watches this. Um, yeah. But now we're going to find out, won't we? If Does he watch all the way to the end? If he says nothing, we he know does that he not. didn't. He does not watch all the way to the end. <laughs> I, I'm sure. I'm just going to tell sure you right now. Uh, well, anyway, so we know that I would be arguing with people on the soccer field. You would be arguing over, you know, handicapped parking spaces or something. And you'd be arguing over Almond Joy. It's a justice Is that... issue, Brian. Uh, yeah, right. Mine too. <laughs> if you have a topic you would like us to discuss on open record or an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. Sarah, Amanda, thank you for being on. I know you had to set some things aside to make this one, so thank you, Amanda, for being here. Wouldn't miss it. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, including our executive producer, Sarah Smith, our editor, Dave Machuda, and our chief photographer, manning the video switcher, Kale Zimney. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back next week.